Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. Joining me today on Better Than I Found It is longtime Penn State golf coach Greg Nye, who will be retiring after 39 years as a college coach, 31 of those at Penn State. We discuss his father's influence on not only himself, but on the Golf Coaches Association as well. There's a feel-good story in there about a walk-on, among other stories. Greg also praises his replacement, Mark Leon, who played for Greg at Penn State. Greg's contributions to college golf are indeed significant, and I hope you enjoy listening. Okay, better than I found it, listeners, let's all welcome former Penn State golf coach Greg Nye. Greg, welcome to the podcast. I say former, but you have literally less than 24 hours, and you'll, you're still the Penn State coach for another 24 hours. Welcome yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> yep, it's a countdown, matter of hours here, right? It really is. Mark's, no, I'm, on, I'm, board. Mark's on board already, and so and I'm still on board, but I've kind of cleared the deck for him. But that's boy, I'm super happy to be uh, invited to be a part of this. I've listened to several of these and some of the guys who are players and many of the coaches, many I know really well and to hear their voices and to know more about their story is is just fascinating to me. Uh, Just love just an unbroken hour listening to you talk with them. So I appreciate you saying that. that. That that's the beauty of this podcast. I've learned about my colleagues as I've done this, so it's it's really been good that way. But I also learned what makes them tick, what made them successful. It uh, you just never know what it is. I mean, I kind of I kind of suspect what it might look like behind the scenes, but almost yeah. every coach has given me something that I could take with me that I think is valuable. So I do yeah. appreciate you joining me today on your last day as coach yeah. after. 31 yeah. years. What a career. Thank you. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, before we end your career, let's let's go back quite a ways. Let's go back to sort of your early influences. I like to do that with guests because I think early influences have so much to do with shaping who we are and who we become and what kind of coach or player we become. And uh, I know your dad was a big influence on your life uh, and your, your professional you know, golf life, your coaching life. So let's talk about your dad. He was like a renaissance man. That man did everything. Talk to me about your dad. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, with all due respect to everybody involved with soccer in the early days, uh, he was on a national championship soccer team at Springfield College, which is kind of a hotbed of coaches where volleyball and, and basketball were invented. Uh, He's a graduate, um, he got his master's there, uh, but was a part of a national championship soccer team under Irv Schmidt. And what what an education, what a bunch of goers at Springfield College. And he took that going attitude right out there and helped uh, the sport of soccer and then moved on and helped us in in the Golf Coaches Association and all of our people who are participating in NCAA golf now. And uh, like Rod Myers uh, was very influential, I think, as well. But, uh, yeah, you know, he he became a Hall of Famer at his his Springfield College right there with Naismith. And uh, 
on that soccer team, he said it wasn't because of my athletic ability. He said the biggest job I had on that national championship soccer team was every time we scored a goal, I better stand up quick or I'd fall off the end of the bench. <laughs> so he he did a lot after his time at Springfield College. And uh, like I said, with due respect to everybody involved in soccer, he was one of maybe a dozen people that were really pioneers of the sport of soccer in this country. And that organization grew immensely during his time, and he evolved to president. The president received the honor award. Uh, and years later, the golf coaches asked Bob, "You know, could you come across the way and and help us with the GCAA, a golf coaches association?" And you know, I think if you were to ask, and Charlie Matlock shared this with me years ago, that Dad was as big an influence on our association as anyone we've ever had. He's the one who introduced many of the things that came right across the table from soccer, but he introduced the idea of having an executive director. And now today that's Greg Grost. Uh, but the whole idea of marketing what we do in golf and all of our All-American Academics, All-American Scholar Awards, et cetera, et cetera. Robert's rule of order, you know, that was that's been difficult. You know, he when he was president, I I, I was at one of the meetings where People would stand up and there would begin to there be there would be a beginning of a discussion. And that person would want to egg on someone else into the argument or whatnot. And dad would say, thank you for your contribution. We'll take that under consideration. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And that was that is that that was a new way of doing business. And before that, it was kind of the the top shelf people in the in the, the organization friends, you know, at the top of the food chain that were kind of setting the table for everything we did. And he, he came along and put in a lot of different things that were committee work. And uh, he asked them to actually work. And if they didn't work, he politely asked them to step aside. And some of those people became his best friends that he said, you're fired. But, yeah. you know, it, <laughs> it really took off. And, uh, you know, we see people following in that, you know, down that road now. And every time I see Bruce Hepler get up and do the do his report, you know, regarding our financial situation, you know, I think back to that it kind of all started back then. So um, he was a major influence, I think, in many ways. He had very successful soccer teams himself and golf teams. Uh, but uh, he was he was presented the honor award. Uh the Lifetime Achievement Award for this massive soccer coaches association, which it's got to be 50 times as many members as we have in the golf coaches association. And then years later, he got the same award with golf coaches association for his contributions. And he would have to be the only person to have both of those awards, I would think. Unbelievable. Yeah, I still have them upstairs and uh, we lost dad 10 years ago, but uh yeah, you know, just I think about I think about riding with him to the Silver Dome in Detroit to watch the United States soccer team play against Switzerland in the World Cup. And while we when we rode up Interstate 75, we saw minivan after minivan go past us filled with kids going to the game. And when we moved to the Ohio in the 60s, there was no high there was no soccer at all. I mean, it was it was an emotional moment for me when I recognized what was going on in the 80s 
over you know during the World Cup. That was to know I was sitting right beside one of the pioneers of that movement. So, well, you uh, know, another yeah. thing, the influence he had obviously there uh, in soccer, but he brought it across to the Golf Coaches Association. But he he brought another uh, sort of aspect to the Golf Coaches Association, and that was being a golf club professional himself. And Labron Harris, the award for the club, you know, the the guy who's a club professional but also a golf coach goes in the neighborhood, Labron Harris. And yeah, Labron was that same thing that your dad was. He yeah. he worked at a club and was a golf pro and a, a golf coach as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And, uh, you know, Herb Page is kind of like that, you know, running his own golf course. There's a number of people we can point to that are that, are, that have done that. So, um so anyway this was this moving dad of mine and, and it, certainly he was a big influence on my early years but I you know I didn't play golf till maybe 12 and I I was into everything and I I remember playing baseball on hot summer days and wool wool uniforms on dirt infields and you know I remember asking him when I first started what position I should play I didn't know he said if I were you I'd like to be in a catcher I'm like why he said well you're involved in every pitch so that's what I was I was I went home and I you know I remember uh, those hot sweaty days and taking a shower <laughs> I was one dirty kid but you know just uh, I, I forget who you had in the hot on the podcast but my neighborhood I mean we did we did all kinds of things we we set up uh, wiffle ball, home run derbies. We played baseball. We put chicken wire backstops together. We we did track meets. Made a jumping pit. It, even it was unbelievable what we did. We played basketball in garages in the winter with soot all over the floor, <laughs> and we came out just filthy, but had a great time. And this was my daily daily walk, if not at the YMCA playing basketball. Uh, but anyway, my golf career probably started just prior to high school. And, uh, interestingly enough, um, or, uh, I'm glad I thought of this, uh, my start, my first year of golf, I remember going to the golf course where my father was teaching lessons and I like, can I play? Can I play? Can I play? And that first year he did not allow me to play. Mm. He showed me how to putt and chip, pitch, and that was that's all I did for an entire year. And the his thought was, you're not ready to be out on the golf course yet. We'll get you. We'll let you hit some balls on the range, but not the golf course yet. So I spent at least a year short game at the at age 12, 13, and I got out onto the golf course the next year as a junior golfer, and I had a little bit of a weak grip, and I hit a little buttercut 180 yarder down the middle on our L.C. Bowles Memorial Golf Course, nine holes, not irrigated, pulled the hose out of the ground kind of place and watered the greens and tees. That was it. And uh, it was pretty cool. I'd play a 400-yard hole, almost get there in two, and be able to get the ball up and down occasionally. And people were like, where'd this kid come from? Mm-hmm. And that stayed with me my entire life, that 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 idea of uh, – just short game fundamentals and, and, and uh, the importance of that. So, you know, you go on from there and you play some junior tournaments in 
when I was going going to school or a junior player, and I imagine maybe same for you, there weren't very many junior golf tournaments at all. I mean, all. weren't organized into a tour. That's for sure. No, no, no. There was the state of Ohio golf association. There was the Cleveland plain dealer paper tournament. And then there was the state JC's and you'd get a Coke and a hot dog. And that was a great thing. So <laughs> uh, that was, those were my beginnings and you know, high school golf was, you know, a big deal. It was, we, we, we did achieve getting to the state tournament out of my spot, my small town of Worcester for the very first down, time down to the big city of Columbus. Where'd you guys play that state championship? Oh, on the Scarlet, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, wow, that nice. was. It's a heck of a tournament. Uh, the, the Ohio State Golf High School tournament is. The big schools are over on. Uh, when I was there, they were. We were over on Scarlet, and the smaller schools were over on Gray. And the uh, parking lot was full with school buses. It was an amazing sight. And uh, we did evolve. We did get down there, and uh, that was a year I I had done well, won a sectional and a regional and a state, uh, maybe a conference tournament, and had a bunch of really nice teammates, and, and, and you know were able to to get down there. And so here comes college, and uh, my mother was pretty sick at the time, and uh, we were connected through New England. I don't know if you picked up on that Springfield College, but that was kind of our Springfield, New Jersey, Ohio. And uh, there was a guy that dad knew. I was pretty, I was a pretty good player. And it, it, it's maybe a name many people on this podcast will hopefully remember, but it's Conrad Railing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Dad knew Conrad. And the next thing I knew before you could do these things on recruiting trips, I was playing with Rick Karbowski one day and Jerry Pate the next on a visit. And I had my housing deposit all paid to go to school down there. Wow. And I had to pull out because of uh, family issues. So uh, I was the oldest child of five. So I stayed home to help and uh, I thought about going to Miami and Coach Cromer. He was I was a good high school player in Ohio, and uh, there were several at that time with like Mitch Camp, Ned Weaver, uh, and many more. But um, Ralph Garassi, uh, John Cook was along in that, but he wasn't an Ohio kid. He was a Cal kid. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of where I was. I was I don't know if I'd have thrived at, at D one. I was pretty immature at the time and uh, good at golf, but I don't know if I could have handled that world, but I was on my way and I ended up staying home playing for uh, my father, which my brother Scott then did. And my brother Gary then did. And I joined a team where the culture of the team was established by the two or three, four years ahead of my time by those guys that was passed on to guys who were older than me when I got on the team. And I just happened to be good at golf and I was a follower. I was strictly, even to this day, when we get together, I'm still that guy. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, here I'm at the end of a 39-year coaching career being a follower. But uh, amazingly enough, you know, we had a very good team and it didn't necessarily show up all through that year because dad had us playing D1 tournaments. You did that back then. 
And as the year went along, we built bigger and bigger, stronger, stronger because of the competition we played. We win our conference tournament. We get selected to play in the NCAA. Uh, tornado hit the course that we were going to play in Tennessee. Mm. So we moved moved over to uh, the golf course, Fort Campbell, right on the, right on the base. And uh, lo and behold, Stanislaus was there and these great Virginia teams and there was no age restriction. Then you could be playing against 30 year old guys and these guys were good. And anyway, we, we had a really nice team and we won the very first ever NCAA division three national championship. You were on the fir- very first team. That yes. Won. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Do we all keep in touch. Do you keep in touch with some of those teammates today even? So yeah. What you asked, well, what do you remember? about that tournament there that's part of it but i i remember getting in the van when it, when all the dust had settled and the awards were passed out and everybody had left and we were the last to leave and one of our older guys goes i think we just did something really big and when we're old wouldn't it be cool to come back here someday 40 years later we all did really yes <laughs> you had a reunion yeah Everybody years. Every five years we we've been doing it. Not everybody can make every one, but everybody everybody made the forty year, and just incredible. Oh, just, that's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, you know, I try to. Uh, it, what do you do? You, what do you remember about the course? Well, we remember that it was shorter. <laughs> the same course, right? Trees are bigger, and it was it's a lot longer. So that that was that was that was. Uh, that's it was great. We did that. We've lost a couple guys since then. And and um yeah, so or one guy since then. And uh so yeah, that was such a great, great time. So yeah, we had a lot of good teams at, at Worcester and uh dad was kind of ahead of his time there too. He uh he might have been one of the very first teams to make a spring trip south and just to just to tell you how crazy things, how things have changed, he bought mm-hmm. a a black passenger van. So it belonged to our family. He put a piece of plywood over the seats. And we we slept under the plywood on the seats and on top of the seats. And we drove 23 hours to Miami, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and played in the Miami event that had like 36 teams in it. It was unbelievable. So can you imagine doing something like that? Well, I can't imagine a kid saying, yes, coach, I'm ready to go today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the back seat and the very back, you could barely get in. And when you're in there, I mean, it was dark. It was a coffin, we called it. So <laughs> That's great. Good story. Yeah. I I honestly never knew that story. I knew you were on a national championship team, but didn't know how it came about. And honestly, yeah. I didn't know you played for your dad. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. So with his soccer team and his golf team, his his approach was to always play up if you can. So his soccer team played against Akron and they played against St. Louis Bilkins, which were they were national champs and played Michigan State. They played Bowling Green all the time. And so he believed that, you know, like we all know, you know, what's iron sharp sharpens iron or playing up is really good for you. And that's how he approached it. And, uh, I, you know, I'd like to 
think I've taken a piece of that. I haven't shied away from it entirely. Um, I remember recently I was kind of headed that way and Mark Leon was my assistant. He said, coach, we can't do that. We've got to play <laughs> up. we got to meet the challenge. <laughs> I guess that's why he's now the coach of Penn State yeah, starting tomorrow. That, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's I'm great. Sure he still thinks about it that way. I do want to talk about Mark, but not just yet, but we'll talk yeah. about him in a second. But so 39 years, what was your coaching stop before Penn State? Because you've been at Penn State for 31. What were right. those other eight years like? Yeah, so, yeah, the uh, th this one's pretty th – this one was like I had no coaching background. I was a player, and I tried playing the, playing professional golf, played for more money than I had, and that didn't work out. That was nope. pretty short-lived. Then I was off being an assistant pro and a big deal in the summer and cleaning clubs in the early spring and summer and and uh, didn't really – wasn't really cut out for that. But I ended up I, – I ended up uh, get, luckily getting into coaching through really the help from – a guy named John Piper who was at Bowling Green and had some nice teams and, and knew my father. There's another influence and an in, but uh, the the thing was though it wasn't just one team and there was no assistant. It was both teams, men and women, and no assistant. Mm. So how do you do that? And and the compensation wasn't good, not good at all. So on comes what six seven weeks of golf camps. So oh yeah, how do you recruit for two teams, six weeks of golf camps, and when you get into the fall and the spring, you're not home one weekend. So you take five players on the road, and you've got fifteen to seventeen at home. And when the big cats away, the mice did play. Yes, yes. they did. So you would try to have uh, an eye in the sky, and imagine. Even today, with two coaches on the road with their teams, who's watching the folks back home? And I imagine there are eyes in the sky. So uh, just looking over things. So uh, that's a reality. That was that was my reality then. So I came to Penn State and my first year. So now I'm 10 years in, in and I still didn't have an assistant. And uh, I remember someone said I was – to take an assistant and the funding was poor. And I'm like, that's not a job. So, <laughs> but they still wanted me to take the, an assistant. And that was right along the, the, that was right along the time when you, and I listened to Grant's podcast and it was very short, but I said, Grant, no, this is not a real job. They haven't done it right yet. We need to work on it. But he, he wanted to get into coaching so bad. I couldn't stop him. And, Boy, he's had one heck of a career. Oh, Grant's done great. But that that's the thing I think that young kids may not understand because I've mentored a lot of young coaches and a lot of them will talk to me the first few times. They'll say, I want to be a Power 5 conference coach just like you. But they, they're they 24 and they want it by the time they're 26. Yeah. That's not the way life works. No. And you, you, you served your dues or paid your dues and Grant did as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know I did, I coached high school golf for nine years and finally yeah. got to go to work for Mike Holder. But yeah. I think maybe they short circuit that one occasionally. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's problematic. You know, you get, get in a little bit too deep and you're in some, get into tough, some tough, to, tough places and you, you, you can make some, 
some fatal errors in your judgment. Absolutely. So 39 years, 31 mm-hmm. in Penn State. I know you've got to be a little bit of emotion, emotion attached to today because it's the last actual full day on, on, on the job. But I, w- I want the best feel-good story out of any player, a, a, a story you're going to go, I, I never well, want to forget that. Yeah, I, I have two. Good, two two perfect. that are really, really great. Um, and people who know me, they're probably like, oh, my gosh, he's going to tell this story about Adam Decker. But it's a great story for young people to hear and for coaches to hear that are coaching today. Uh, really an amazing thing. So when I came to Penn State, there were 15 returning players and 15 freshmen. Mary wow. Kennedy, she left me with 30 golfers. That's a lot of golfers. Yep. So I had a month-long qualifier. So it was like a lot of scores. And I said, you know, look to your left and right kind of things. People aren't going to be here. But you're going to do it on your own. I had some exempt players. They were top players. So – I said I'd keep like 16 players. That's a lot, but it's 14 less than 30. And Adam was one of those young people that Mary had recruited in as a recruited walk-on freshman. And uh, he didn't make it. He did not make it. And he was ruined with other guys who did make it over in the dorms. And Margie and I, my wife, had moved into a, a rental house uh, here in state college, my youngest was being born, left Margie back at Bowling Green, sell a house and have a child while I came over here. <laughs> and, uh, so we had a rental house and in the middle of the winter, we, we, we purchased a house in town, had to move. And I asked three guys if they could come over and help me with the U-Haul and moving some things. And one of the guys had to bail out and one, another guy volunteered to help. And it was Adam. So we spent the whole day moving our household goods across town and sat down over pizza or something at the end of the day. And Adam asked me if there was any chance this next year I could get another shot. And I said, yeah, you know, I absolutely. And well, I want you to just, you know, I'll give you these forms to send to me over the summer. I can track your progress. It'll be a little bit more of an in-house tryout next year. And we did it and he didn't make it. He did second not, time. He did not make it the second time. The next day I was talking to the guys that he roomed with the year before, tell me a little bit more about this guy that I had some interest in. And they they said some really great things about him. And I, I, I thought, that's what I was thinking. And I called Adam that night and I said, Adam, you're on the team. And he said, but you said there would only be 16. I said, well, there's going to be 17. I And he said, well, how? I said, that's because I'm the coach. <laughs> I'll make the decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it. So I said, you know, I said, you know, you're 17 man right now and see if you can move your way up through the fall. And, and uh, he didn't play in any tournaments and he, he moved his way up to like eight, somewhere in there and middle of the winter, we're about ready to go to one of our first tournaments. And, uh, Two or three of the guys, they got into some kind of something that they needed to take a seat over the weekend. We were heading to to a tournament. They were suspended or whatever. And I said, Adam, 
touched him on the shoulder, you're in. I said, you're only going to be in for one tournament and these other guys will get back in. So I watched him with vested interest. And I'm not going to tell you what he did exactly in that first event, but it was, it was baptism by fire. Right. And uh, he didn't play again that spring. And I, I worked with him on some things that spring and he went out that summer and went back into the Long Island area and he was kind of shooting the same scores, Mike. And then mid-July, it all changed. It all changed. He just kept working on the same stuff that we agreed to talk that to work on. And oh my goodness, he was he was doing a great job in the, the metropolitan area tournaments. Comes back, the first qualifier was one week, and he was on the airplane sitting right beside me, headed to the Air Force Academy playing Gene Miranda's wow. tournament, and he finished sixth. He qualified for the first tournament the next year and finished sixth. Yes. Yes. A walk-on who had lost twice on the walk-on yeah. qualifier. Yeah. You see, you gave a guy, you gave him a third chance, not a second chance. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, then he's at, we're up in Wisconsin early on in his career there playing, and I get, I see him on the 18th green on the 36-hole day, and I I'd seen him make a birdie, but I'd seen him made a bogey and, and da da da. And I go, how'd you how'd you make out? I didn't know what it because we didn't have live scoring. He yep. gave me, he shows me four fingers and then he dipped them down. I go, you shot sixty eight. He goes, yeah. I said, oh, fantastic, keep it going, right? So I'm I'm all over the place, walking all over the place. I see him. I, I don't focus on him entirely. I don't put a lot of heat on him or anything. Comes around, wouldn't you know, I see him at the exact same place on 18 at the end of the 36th little day. How'd you make out? He goes, pretty good. I go, how do you how do you stand? He puts four fingers in the air and he goes, down again. I go, you shot 68 again? I said, you're eight under par, you're leading the Big Ten championship. <laughs> <laughs> the TV guys want to see you right away, you know. <laughs> he didn't win, but oh my goodness. So, so a true walk-on was leading after 36 holes in the yeah, Big Ten. Yeah. So get this. Now, this I mean, this is this is amazing. He had another pretty good year the next year, and we qualify to play in the regional, which we had been doing. And this is one where there were 27 teams in the regionals. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, so we're playing in the regional, and this one happened to be hosted by Army. So it was north of New York City. The weather wasn't great. It was it was tough, but the entire SEC and the AC, the ACC, they were all there. Mm. All these guys who terrific players recruited at the highest level. Adam finished second. Mm. This is a guy who didn't make the team at Penn State for two years. <laughs> and he's second in the regional, sixth. And the that Big was Ten. the first year that a Northeastern Mid-Atlantic team, that our team, that was the first year that someone came out of that area to the national championship by earning it through a, a regional. And as Rod Meyer said to me in the parking lot, he said, Gregory, your boys, they, they pulled a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Sykes had a classic line. I forget exactly what it was, but he's the best. I mean, uh, Richard I was love so Richard. good. I love Richard. He gave me a hard time all the time. Every time he saw me and I knew I was in because he was giving me a hard time. Yeah, you you were in the club. If you if you yeah. had Richard giving you a hard time, that he's was good. The best. He's the best. Well, that's a good story on Adam. And yeah, you know, so, I wish I talked to you 
eight yeah. years ago when I was writing my book because yeah. I had a whole chapter on on uh, feel good stories on on walk ons. Yeah. That so would have been a good one. He had because he didn't play his first year. He had another year. Mm-hmm. And this I just this is the quick ending. He played so well, like he went to the Golf Digest down in Houston and just beat really good players. Adam made the All American team. Oh wow, unbelievable! That's feel good story number one. Mm, I love and, that one. Yeah, so I, I'm running. I hope that that was a clear story. But um, 2000, early 2000s, one of our players, Mike Carter, which there's an award at in the in our uh, Palmer Cup named after him, uh, passed away in a car accident in February. Uh, one of our players, and uh, it was really tough, really, really tough. And uh, I was down on the 12th green after we went through an awful lot. This is this is right for our home tournament. And this is a name you probably know, and everybody in Oklahoma knows this name, but he was on our team. And this young guy who was just amazing kid, lovable guy, his name is Jimbo Fuller. I know Jimbo quite well. Yeah. Yeah. And he he saunters up to me real quiet and he said, Coach, could I ask you something? I said, What's that, Jimbo? I said, Well, I know this is kind of sensitive, but all the guys and I have been thinking this is something we wanted to ask you. And uh, he said, You know, Mike, you know, being a Baltus Straw member, he made, you know, he, he would wear those pink pants. They don't mm-hmm. let you wear shorts at Baldusrong. He always wears. He was always wearing long pants, playing in our all of our stuff. And Jimbo said, "Could we wear pink pants for our home tournament?" In his honor. In his honor. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I said, "Well, I'd have to check with the athletic director, but I think pink and black were the original colors for Penn State. It might we might be able to do this." And uh, that that was true. Uh, and it, I didn't really need approval. And we, and we did do it. And uh, we wore a white shirt with those pink pants. And and uh, his mom, Mary Lou, had never been back to the golf course since we lost Mike that spring. And she she came. We knew she was coming. And I had the guys dress up, dress up in rain gear. It's an April tournament, so it's a, a good bet it's not going to be real warm. Mm-hmm. on april morning and they had everything covered up and we did a a uh, a silent a ghost rider tea time and we had mary lou come and we did a moment of silence and the guys were lined up out on the first tee and she was 30 40 feet away from them and like basketball players they just stripped off those warm-ups and they had those white shirts and pink pants on wow unbelievable did she get emotional on that? She loved it. She just wrote me yesterday about, could you find the story that was written in Golf Week uh, by one of our one of the writers we know? Really, really nice story. And I uh, hope to send it to her. Uh, but uh, we wore them in Big Tens, and we wore them down at Bruce Hepler's NCAA Regional. Just let the coaches know before we showed up out there why we were wearing pink and then that he wrote that article i think at that regional at the end of round one we were in second place and he interviewed me and got to tell the mike carter story and you know and jimbo was a part of it and yeah 
And Jimbo's one of the reasons, and Teddy Neville were one of the reasons we ended up in Ardmore playing. Yeah. In the Perry Maxwell, Perry where we Max. first, you and I first met, and you know how that all came about is another big story. But that too is enough. I think those are two really, really great stories about young people. You know, I would encourage every coach who's coached a long time, whether it's he's retiring or he's still well in the middle of his career, but to to think about those stories because some, you have a lot of stories that aren't very touchy-feely good, that, that are tough, and it's yeah. sometimes you have to figure out ways to get to the next season because it was such a rough season. Yeah, When you have stories like that, it's like, okay, we are doing the right thing and, and for the right reason. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. I, yep. You brought in two guys I knew very well, Ted, uh, very well, and Jimbo, very well. I, yeah. my, my junior golfers in Edmond played against them for all the years, and then um, I, I, about the time they graduated high school is when I got to Oklahoma State. So, how about that? Yeah. So, um, you, I mean, obviously you've got a ton of great memories, but you have to have some great memories of assistant coaches. You said you worked without one for a while, but you have a coaching tree. So I want to yeah. talk about some of the coaches that have been with you and where they are now and and obviously get to the final coach on that which would be mark leon which right. yeah yeah you know you kind of prompted me on this question so i put some thought into to this it's like there's like 12 14 of them hmm. that are part of the one of my players at bowling green um didn't replace me right away at Bowling Green, but two years later, Gary Winger became the head coach at, at Bowling Green and, and uh, was there for a, a while. Um, the next one I could think of, though, was we've already talked about Grant Robbins joining me in the very beginning here at Penn State. And he has a great story of starting the program at Wilmington and then moving on when, when, when Coach Cook passed at Memphis and Grant took over at his alma mater. And now his wife being from Kansas, they're out in Kansas state. And what a year they had. Mm, he's doing a great job. Out here. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, guy older than me, who was a head coach at Seton hall. Uh, when he got out of there, um, he, he approached me and we talked it over. And so I had a, a person who was a chemical engineer, um, uh, competitive cyclist who coached caddy for a really good player and coached at Seton Hall and they had a fantastic team and when he bowed out of that he was working with me in a camp and he said I should be your assistant coach or I said that to him and lo and behold Richard Distelrath was working with me for two years and it was great because I said Richard perfect to have someone that please you know if you see something that I'm doing that we can do better by all means. One of the things I really remember he said to me, two things. One, he said, coach, I think every single time the guys play, we put a scorecard in their hand. Mm -hmm. And number two, when you tour people around Penn State, this campus, would you just shut up? You don't <laughs> need to talk about this place. It's too nice. <laughs> you don't have to explain it. Just let the people feel it. You know, so hey, you need so. an assistant coach to tell you the truth, right? I know. It's just, yeah. So, um, Kirk Caden, uh, also worked with me and he went on to several years at Austin P and then Mercer. Um, then Adam Decker, who's been 16 years, I think at Richmond, uh, who we talked about earlier, uh, Canadian John Dunlop helped me for six years. Um, 
part of the tree. TJ Howe, who's one of my players, followed Mark Leon as my assistant, who had been here six years with me. Uh, one of my players, Jay Woodward. Oh, yeah. Worked with Sean Kovich. I thought you might know him. Yeah. I know Jay very him. well, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And Mark Leon's roommate, Greg Pazinski, is at George Mason as a coach right now. And he is be, he has been helped by J.D. Dornis, who also played one. He's been assistant coach there. One of our other former players ended up in, in, in upstate New York, Cody Cox, as a coach. And my current assistant, Nick Zaccardi, is, is uh, going to be working beside Mark now. So, geez, a bunch of guys there. And, and Nick Nick has an Oklahoma background. He has a uh, play worked uh, under Coach Cook out at the uh, University of Pacific for several years, and 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 teach uh, coached as a graduate assistant at St. Lawrence University. So he is really widely connected, and these two guys are going to do a great job. I think so. And, and you know, when when I saw it announced that you were going to be retiring, stepping yeah. down after all these years. The first name that came to mind was Mark Leon because he's yeah. he's been successful as an assistant coach for sure. Yeah. But it's like he's got to come back there. He's got yeah. to. Yeah. And then I later found out he did. So tell me about the process of how he became your replacement and what what do you think he's going to do and all that. Let's go. Well, sure. Yeah, I you know, I I we have a first year athletic director and I I sent him my message that I was going to retire and he called me within like 10 minutes and he's like what <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> and I, I i quickly changed the subject if you don't mind you know with all due respect if you'd like any assistance in sorting out some things we've got a, we've got some people out there that are dying diehard Penn State people who have done all the work and are in are would do a hell of a job here and kind of like here they are and Nick who was my assistant is another person that I said good things about um but that's the direction we went he he took my lead on that and I don't know there's not it's just doesn't happen that often that you have people in the tree like that, that are these alums that are so embedded in the Penn State lore, really, um, and that have done all the work. Like if you were to suggest a path for either, and, I, and I, I'm not gonna go into great detail, but with Mark, uh, here's a guy who was, on that Mike Carter team, he was a guy that he has the highest finished ever as a Penn Stater in sixth place at the NCAA finals. He played on some great teams. That particular team for us making a cut at the national finals was a big deal. Mm -hmm. So then that was Teddy Neville. And that was right after Jimbo. Um, but Mark had that. And then he had four or five years of playing the Canadian tour and this and that and all over the place, but he did it. And then he came back, you know, then he doesn't know what he's going to do. And I invite him to come in and, and help me turn some things around. And he couldn't believe I hired him, <laughs> <laughs> but 
I'm like, you're exactly what we need. And, and he's got the energy. He's got the smile. Mm. He's got the person, the personality. He's so connective with people. And it was tough our first couple of years. Guys were trying hard, but we turned it around and we went bang, 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 bang. And we went, I mean, so much so that we ended up in the Washington regional and A&M and Washington were there amongst USC and whatever, and Herbie Page, mm-hmm. you know, Herbie and I seem to get to the same regional a good bit. We, the part, coach would say, hey, here we are, coach and I, coming down the last few holes again. But Mark was the guy that was so influential in that whole process of turning it, and we get through to the finals. Mm. You know, we were playing against Allen's team and they surged ahead of us in the back. We were playing with the the purple Washington kids and they had a big crowd out there and they got ahead of us. And, the, and I, I said to our guys, how are you going to respond? Because this stuff's going to happen. And the, the last three or four holes, we just played incredibly well and got through. It was so exciting. And, and uh, Mark was just ecstatic. And he would he had a big play in that happening. And I think I mentioned that to our, our athletic director that, you know, he was a part of, you know, some really big things for us. And so, you know, came in and, and uh, you know, was, was interviewed and I, I did not know who the selection would be, uh, but it was Mark and, you know, we're thrilled. And so yeah. many alumni are thrilled because I've known him for 23 years. And his brother, Maddie played for me for four years after he was here. I know the whole family. They're Canadians, Toronto, like JC. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, one other thing that's really cool, JC, congrats on what just happened. But I have one of the best pictures ever of the United States amateur. And I haven't talked about my brother, Scott, but it was at Marion. And JC mentioned it in his podcast, but I have one of the best pictures and he knows the picture. It was the 17th hole at Marion and Mark Leon is t- is hitting a pitch shot across this incredible green with all that undulation down in the quarry. And I've got this picture of him and USGA folks and the golf channel and all of these people down near the green and probably another 800 to 900 people up on the edge of, of the quarry and it's a shot that looks the same as a picture was taken like in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And it was the final hole. Mark hit this incredible pitch to like two feet or three feet. And JC had to two putt to close it out from a tough spot. And he did it. And they walked up 18, you know, hand in hand, basically. But my brother was a head golf professional. And I have my guy in this round eight. It was such a thrill. You were there watching. You were there watching or not? One of the great thrills I've ever had. Yeah, Yeah. I was right there. And on the bag was Greg Pazinski, who's coaching now, too. So he's so, yeah. And I knew JC. So it was amazing. That's uh, so how how have you done? Have you recruited Canadians by and large? Quite a few. Yeah. Some. Yeah. yeah. I know Herb Page at at, at Kent State did a great job with getting Canadians to come down. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, That's I think Mark, one. when he gets involved, it's hard for us, but yeah, it's Mark. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. I think Mark will be great. I'm excited yeah. for him. Um, and I think when you coach at your alma mater, 
there's a, a passion you can speak to about the university yep. Yep. To, to recruit. So I think he'll do great with that. Yeah. 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 Indeed. Indeed. I, I think he'll do great as well. I think he's, he's done all the work that puts him in the position. So I know, know you'll, um, you know, I, I could talk to all his attributes and I have a little bit, but he has so many, he's loyal and honest. He's so caring. It, it, the guys will really enjoy it. And he's, he's such a competitor, you know, he's alert and, and he's going to be on top of it. And it's, it's going to be, so as far as advice, I've known him for 23 years, I've probably given him enough advice. <laughs> you know, one of the things I said, you know, you got this because you did all the right things. You were positioned well for this. So go get it. And, you know, just like probably Buddy did and a lot of guys who stay in the area, you know, you, can, you I hope that I just respect the ground and, you know, if, if the call comes for some help, happy to do it. And not a, not I'm it. not going to predict what he might do, but I would think that there'll be a few questions he has because some of the kids he'll be coaching are kids that he, you recruited and coached both. Yeah. So it's like, he'll probably yeah. have some questions and I know yeah. you'll be ready to mm -hmm. help him. Um, yeah. 31 years at Penn State, but 39 years total. You've, you've mentioned some of the early years were driving in a van. I mean, it was it was a different deal back then. But yeah. what do you think is the best change you've seen in our profession, that's college golf coaching, since you got in? What's the best thing you think, I'm glad we did that? That's got to well, be a good I think thing. like watching your own kids grow or people who are close to you, I hope you agree with me, Mike, and everybody yeah. out there. Take a look at this. College golf tournaments are one heck of a lot better than they used to be. I mean, there's a lot of well, we're welcome at places. They're fair athletic competitions. A lot of the a lot of the seedings that are in the this pairings are done by rankings, things you can expect. There's no Homer stuff. There used to be Homer stuff going on. There's a lot of transparency. Some people display the whole locations, the T locations for the practice round. I do that. Mm -hmm. Some people just do it like USGA and, you know, they don't believe in that, but, you know, you, you get used to that, but um, a lot of transparency, you know, just a fair athletic competition. You think about the housing and the meals. I mean, you guys at, at Oklahoma state or Baylor, you're playing in these great tournaments. And so do we, we, we really are fortunate to play. But I'll tell you, across the board, even in the, up here in the Northeast, the tournaments are just better. So that's for starters. It's just better. And the young people that are experiencing them today, they don't know. They don't know how great the tournament. When we go to Duke, I tell them this is really incredible. When we go to Jerry's tournament at Wake, I'm like this is really special. Tommy Hunter's tournament, Liberty National, great. Mm -hmm. What Fred Warren started down in East Tennessee is still fantastic. He's do, coach is doing great. You know, these are the tournaments that we play, and I play in a lot of Casey Lubon's events and Carlton River and uh, and just the, you, if you go to the Wyndon, what a tournament. Mm. What a golf tournament that is that Pat puts on. It's just they're, you know, you could go anywhere, go to Cincinnati, Doug's tournament. They're they're fantastic events. It's just the kids are the young people are treated so well. And I, you know, the the other thing that's happened in my time, and you'll remember this, Mike, and we we easily forget this stuff, but this my father 
he was way up there, both not only division three golf. And I talked about soccer, but also division one golf. And you know what he did? He went to the NCAA championships and he was a rules official. Oh, wow. Like Herb Wimberly was a rules official and a few other folks that, can you believe? So what am I saying? I'm saying, thank you, Rod Myers for the work that you did with the United States golf association to get all these golf associations on board with us nationwide to serve. So all this voluntary work we get from these people to help us run these events, this neutral body running these events. It's thank you, Rod, for, for all that work. And, and uh, Coach Gordon in Ohio Wesleyan's hand, Doug's dad, Dick Gordon, he was, you know, right with Rod. They had an inside track with the U- USGA, and they were uncomfortable, as you remember, with coaches being on hand, being the caddy for five people. Right. Advice shared all over, and Rod got him to, to go our way, and I think that's a huge change. I think that I was getting ready. To, I was wondering if you were going to go that direction because that to me is huge. The USGA finally came on board and said, yeah, we we can do that. That's changed college golf a lot. It has. It has. And, um, you know, I said Worcester got invited to play in the NCAA golf tournament and we won it. You know how they did that? It was word no. of mouth. Really? It was word of mouth. This team over here is pretty good. <laughs> you know, they won this tournament, that tournament. I think they ought to be in. And Division One did a lot of the same stuff. There were no qualifiers. Before the regional started in 1989, that it That's was. Right. Yeah, right. they just invited 30 good teams. And, you know, before golf stat, what did we do? We paired sheet against sheet. How did this team do against that team? And it was a, quite a web. So I think one of the great, great developments is an algorithm and golf stat to make it a lot more transparent. Well, I don't know if it's transparent because none of us understand the algorithm, but you know what I found with golf stat through all these years, as I go through and play teams towards the end of the year, the teams that are that are supposed to win do. And the ones that are supposed to not win don't. That's pretty doggone accurate. So the only little piece in there, and this is a Northern coach talking is there's always a downward slide for a northern team in february and march but you may not want to play them in may no that's you know, an you, you mentioned that. to participate you know and coaches up north have done a great job the last you said that you you guys took the first southern trip you know, I know. yeah but they're all doing it now so they're oh, getting yeah. they're getting in three or four weekends and then they're playing in three or four tournaments and February and March. And before you yeah. know it, when April rolls around, they've done a better job of getting ready for that postseason. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how, you know, how do you do it? Well, you know, we coaches don't often share our secrets. So I'll share your mind. I think uh, Mark Hankins said, Coach Nye, you know how to schedule. So thanks, Mark. But um, how do you do it? You know, well, you take a training trip. Now we couldn't do those. Mm-hmm. You try to get that kind of tight to the Big Ten match play so you look like you've played before. So you go, you fly down at great expense, you fly back, you fly back down, you have a practice round, and you play 
three or four matches that don't have great rankings consequence. And you, and you maybe stay around on Sunday and play another round. And then the next thing you do within three days is you go play the Gator or you go play somewhere. And then you go home for a week and you better get back on the road before you lose it all. And you get on a spring break trip and you're, you're going to go 12 straight days of golf. And when that's over, you come back north and it's the middle of March and you know, you're not playing golf on a golf course yet. So we take those annual days off and we get into mid-April and start playing again right through. So it's as it, it's like we have four different seasons mm -hmm. and they are in this order what we do initially in, in January. Then we play the through the championship, the NCAA championship. Then we go play our summer golf and then we come back and play in the fall. Mm -hmm. And then the way I sell it in recruiting is this. I don't care where you go to school. Everybody goes home for Thanksgiving, come back for a couple of weeks. You may, you may practice golf at Florida. You might. And, but when you go home for Christmas, you're not doing much with that. And then if you have the chance as a Northern golfer during the break, you go South and you're playing golf just like they are. So I mean, that's how, that's how you explain it. And then we say, Hey, it's tough for a little bit. But we try to link it all together and, then we go tuck it in for a couple of weeks in, in late March and then go after it again in April. Maybe that's good because we re-energize at that point. So you do what you have to do, but it's One not year natural. Was, it's not good. No, I agree. So. One year I was still at Oklahoma State and we were playing the Aggie Invitational April 2nd. Yes. So, you know, we played a lot of golf. Uh, we played tournaments. We'd play outside a bunch. And Herb's team, Herb Page's Kent State team, was there. And they finished second behind Alabama. I think we finished about sixth or seventh. And Herb, I asked Herb, I said, Herb, you guys played beautifully this week. You, you're in the midseason form. He says, well, Coach, these were the first four rounds we'd been out yeah. since Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, that just crushed me because it was like my team that had played in all this warm weather yeah, uh, finished about sixth or seventh. And yeah. so it's a lot of attitude coming from the north going south, too. You've got that that enthusiasm. You you can't wait to get down there and, and compete. There's got to be some of that. Yeah, well, you're talking to one of the greatest golf coaches of all time there, though. He's I, I really think he's like the best. He, he's, he's awesome. The best. You know, Mike Small does a hell of a job. But Herb, I just want to shout out to Herb and a, a young coach. Nye, you remember Herb. You it was hard for me in the beginning, man, coaching those two teams at Bowling Green. And he was just the, he was just that person, that older touch that recognized how scary it is to be a young head coach and his encouragement and his care of a young guy. I, I so much appreciate that. I looked up to him so much and I so much appreciate that. And hopefully we can all do that for younger coaches. I think it's incumbent upon us. I think we have to. I mean, if yeah. a young coach reaches out to you, it's obvious that was a sign of respect. Yes. So it's kind of like you you should be thrilled that he asked you and you should figure out a way to make it easier on him. Yeah. Even a tough, hard-shelled guy like Mike Holder would do that if a young coach came and asked him a question. He would always yeah. do that. So, so you want to know the best piece of advice I ever got from, not Herb, I got it from Jim Brown. Yeah, I want to hear it. So Jim Brown coached JV basketball at Kent State, and he coached against Bob Nye. 
he coached the golf team at Kent State, and we played in his tournament. So Bob and I, Jim Brown, knew each other. And I was just 13, I think, when I met Jim. And I wanted to play at Ohio State. Didn't get recruited by him. But uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there I now I'm coaching, and I'm looking Jim Brown square in the eyes at the Marshall Invitational, Joe Fagan's tournament. Great tournament. Just great tournament. We were happy to be there and always earn our way back and grateful to Joe Fagan's. But When I was a young coach, and this is my piece of coaching advice. When I was a young coach, I had qualifiers that at the the Forest Creason Golf Course, wide open place. I had qualifiers to, to fill out our starting lineup, one through five. Qualifiers. Do it through the numbers. So I had a, I had a young guy that was hitting it everywhere on this open golf course and qualified to play at Marshall where you got to hit it down the bowl, right? Straight down the little narrow chute, right? Mm-hmm. And I get to the 18th hole. We started on the back, bucks are on the front. And I'm crossing over with Jim Brown. How's it going, coach and I? How you guys doing? And I start whining. And I'm <laughs> whining about a guy who's hitting it sideways that came out of this qualifier, blah, blah, blah. And he, I don't know if he ever said this, but it like it was like, are you done yet whining? and he looked me in the eye and i felt like i was 13 again i was it was it was an intimidating moment because i'm like and the question he asked me was even more so and i almost panicked he goes do you know who your best players are and i said oh just i i only paused for like two seconds i go yes i do you know what he said he said then play him and he walked away. <laughs> and do you know what happened? Honest to God, my teams just got better. They got better right away. And well, that, think about it. He, you know why did. I didn't want to? I didn't want to be responsible for the starting lineup, and that people would complain, and I did not want to face that. It was too scary. I can and, tell you. A lot of old school coaches give that same advice. It's guys, you your job is on the line. You know who your best players are playing. Yes, yes, but boy, you're going to face that meeting with that kid that sixth or seventh, and you're dealing with. You better have your ducks in a row. You better know what you're talking about, and you tell them the truth, and you hope that they don't want even more truth because it might hurt them. You know, if you were to really divulge some of the stuff that you thought, but. One time, the guys, I have a story where the guys on the team wanted to know. I said, you want to know? Okay, we'll, mm. we'll arrange a meeting. And I had like 50 reasons why I select the lineups the way I select them. And some of the stuff that I said was like, the guys hate you. You're selfish. And push came to shove. I thought, we don't want you on the road. Things like that. Mm. Whatever. Whatever it could be. So the next year came around, I go, they were asking about it again. I said, do you want to have that meeting again? And they said, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, just selecting a lineup, it's, you got to have your ducks in a row. You got to, you got to be confident about it. And you still got to motivate those that are, are not quite there yet. And you can't lose them. No, you, know, you the can't great lose piece them. of advice I got as a young coach was up here. And this, I think, is great for all of us. And we were in the coaches were gathered together and Joe Paterno was going to talk 
to the coaches. We were, we had a new AD who he wanted and we got him. It was kind of about that person and supporting that person. And he, but then he talked a little bit about just a little bit about coaching. And one of the things I'll never forget, he said, he said, don't complain about your players. They're the only ones we have. <laughs> Unbelievable. So you think about what does that mean? Like, cause you know, I still complain about, we complain about players to our assistant coaches and we complain, but man, you got to get past that because you got to develop them. They're the only ones you got. I love it. I'm writing that down right now. It's un- Yeah. It's like, look for deeper meaning of what Joe said. Cause you know, he's, um, yeah. wow. You know, it's funny though, but I think if you, if you're looking closely enough, you're going to get advice like that as a young coach coming up, if, if you're asking questions and paying attention. So right. you just gave me three or four really great stories about people that helped you with advice that actually furthered your career. So it's fantastic. Yeah. So before you we gonna ask me about being a czar. Yeah, that's, that was the question <laughs> I was going to ask. I've got two more questions. One, uh, I'm going to ask you what you're going to miss most about coaching. So we'll get to that. That'll be the last thing. we But if you were the czar of college golf, you're the guy, you're the czar, you make all the decisions. What's one decision you're going to make? What's one change? Yeah, I would, I think keeping that first question to last is better because this won't be an uptick. This is the czar part, but (laughs) ready? Here we go. Go. Other guys, there's coaches out there that have heard the coach and I deal, but um, even coach hacks heard it. Uh, I think uh, Dwayne Knight's heard it and they've all responded to me. And I I think out West I've talked about it, but anyway, ready? Here we go. Yes. Go. College golf starts August 1st. It's over on Thanksgiving. Okay. There you go. So why? Okay, go. I want to hear why. Why? Because what does that, what does that do? I know it's hot in Arizona and Nevada in Florida in August. I know that. You can go north and play. Okay. I know you got to qualify, but it's better than minus 20. Okay. Oh, yeah. So we start classes here. And I know there's there are teams on quarters. There's not many on quarters, but we start like August 22nd. What's the harm in starting August 1st, right when soccer starts? We can have our qualifiers. That's practice. And, and when we're not going to school, how many tournaments can we play in August? Did we play four? Yes. Yes. And I'm su- I'm going to suggest that I'm going to I'm going to throw this in as a, a a little piece of what I remember coaches talking about for a while. You may remember that we play that we we get rid of 36 whole event uh, rounds and that we play a practice round on a Friday morning. We play the first round on Friday afternoon. Saturday, round two, Sunday, round three, and all the things that go with that. But we're not, we're asking for 27 playing dates, and that's, we're going to have nine tournaments. And then we're going to have our conference, and then we'll go into regionals, blah, blah, blah. And that could apply to this August, the Thanksgiving thing. But, you know, Thanksgiving week, we could play a one week national championship, and nobody's missing class. So that's an upside to that. In the fall, we can take 12 hours, and in the spring, we can take 16 or 17, and we're good to go as far as balance. The other thing that that obviously creates, it it does give teams that can't play in January, February, and much in March, they don't even have a basketball court to bounce a basketball on. 
and then you're asked to go play a game. It's not right. It's a bad thing about our sport. And heaven forbid we give teams that are up here a better chance at being good, you know, up at the top. What would happen if Boston College, with all those great golf courses, played August 1st through Thanksgiving? Might they be national champions? They might be. Minnesota might win it a couple more times. You have a very interesting take. I'll I'll get uh, some. Co- I'll get other coaches to to talk to me about that. I like yeah. that. Yeah, you never know. So, yeah, and then in the spring you play a couple friendlies like soccer does. You don't go very far. You don't travel. You don't play the seniors. They're done. So you play new people. You can do all the weight training and development in the winter that you'd like. But you give the coaches December and January, February, maybe a little bit of a chill pill when this. This whole thing right now is getting out of hand with name, image, and likeness, and the job's just getting bigger and bigger. And its I don't think it's good for coaches and coaches' families. I, I, I don't think it's good for the players to play 12 months, just pound. The tour players don't even do that. And we are just all year round. And it, it's just, yeah. Now, I, I've thought about doing this for a while, and I've gotten a lot of amens to it. So, you know, it depends on where you're from, but you got – you can't be afraid to open it up to other people having a chance. Well, we'll see how, how my listeners uh, feel about it. I'll let you know. I'll give you, you know, a I've shout. Always been, I've always been the nail that sticks out, and I, I deserve to be pounded. I know. <laughs> so, I appreciate it. So let me give you one last question, Yeah, and then I'll let you go. What are you going to miss most? about this profession coaching yeah you know i i i just love getting to practice away from everything and just being with with my players i love that and i will miss that the second thing i'll miss is the van packed up going out our magnolia lane heading somewhere to see how we measure up there's just a vibrancy about that moment that i loved and another moment that i will really miss is and we did it a lot is that when you come off the golf course you don't have to win the tournament you don't have to finish second depending on the strength of the field you know when you have really laid it out there and you have your team has excelled and that is that that is that is a great 30 or 40 minutes right after the tournament as you depart and as you know at that point you you've fed them by then and they are asleep but I will miss those moments. I, I honestly, I think those are some of the moments I'm going to miss too. I just, uh, I don't know how much longer I'll do this. Hopefully seven or eight years at least. Yeah. But um, I appreciate you giving me that perspective. I'll think about that. I'm, I'll even appreciate those moments more now as I'm going through them. Yes. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember hearing about you and I, and I, and I, uh, I met you in Ardmore and, I was at some tournament in Ohio, Indiana, and I, I had to get out and recruit really early. And I got down in the parking lot before anybody should have been down in the parking lot to go out and recruit. I walked out there and there you were. I had heard you were like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sleep. I can't yeah. sleep. Yeah, you, nah. you know what? I just hope everybody appreciates what Mike's doing uh, with these podcasts. It takes a, it, it takes a, a lot of energy, fantastic communications, and it's educational for, for all of us. And I hope it provides you with 
heartfelt moments and some some laughter and joy with uh, either competing or coaching. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I have really enjoyed this. And what I'm not going to enjoy is not seeing you at tournaments. So um, I expect you to show up at a conference championship sometime or a regional or an NCAA just to kind of say, hey. I would love to do that. Yeah, I, I need, I've thought about that. And, and yeah, I, I got to You'll need to do that. Yes, thank you. All right. Well, Greg, thank you so much again. Okay. Really enjoyed our hour together. And um, I, I'd look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you at one of those events one day. Yes, yes. Be well, everyone. Perfect. Thanks. Bye. Bye.